do extend a word of welcome to each one this morning, and we trust uh, that you'll be blessed as you meet with us. We do welcome those who are visiting with us. We see a few family members uh, of uh, various uh, families who come, and we thank you for coming. We trust you'll feel at home uh, with us today. We thank uh, Kristen for playing uh, the introductions this morning, and we're going to commence our worship by turning in our hymnals to the hymn number 92. Uh, the hymn 92, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare hymn room, and heaven and nature sing. Hymn 92, we'll stand as we worship, please. seated. We're going to turn this morning in the Word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 7. And as we uh, consider the incarnation today, uh, you may think, well, it's a little strange to maybe be reading something that isn't about the Incarnation, uh, but the reading uh, today is connected to what we will be preaching on, and uh, the Apostle Paul is reminding uh, Timothy of the importance of godliness in uh, not only the ministry, but his life as well. And we'll break into that reading 
at verse 7. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, the Word of God says, "'But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come.'" This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Amen. Ending there at the end of verse 13, and trusting the Lord will bless the reading of His Word this morning. Let us unite in prayer together, and let us pray and seek our God. <clears throat> Eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we give Thee thanks today that we can enter into uh, Thy presence uh, through prayer. We rejoice uh, that as we pray unto Thee, we come uh, through our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank Thee that uh, we have such a mediator, uh, one who is both God and man, man, one who ever liveth to make intercession for us. And we thank Thee, O God, that today, as we think of this time of year, our thoughts go to the incarnation of our Savior and to the wondrous birth that took place in Bethlehem. And Father, today we, we thank Thee that we can look to Thee and rejoice in the incarnation of Thy Son. And we thank Thee that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. We thank Thee that His purpose in coming into this world was to go to the cross of Calvary, eh, to die eh, for those who were rebels and sinners. We thank Thee for the cross of Christ. We thank Thee that there is redemption found in Thee alone. And we thank Thee, O God, today that we come together as Thy church because of our Savior, and because He came into this world to be its Savior. And, O oh God, today we do remember ourselves here. We think of those outside of Christ, those who have never believed, those who have never repented, and we look to Thee, O oh God, that Thou would move in their hearts, that they would contemplate and consider the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, that they would desire him to be their Savior, that by Thy grace and through the power of Thy Spirit, they would turn from sin and trust in the Lamb of God. And our Father, we do remember ourselves here. We do think of the families of this congregation. We pray that Thy hand would be upon each one, that Thou would bless, that Thou would continue to give grace and to give that help that is needed. We pray, O God, that Christ would be the center of each of our families. And in every home, uh, the Savior uh, would have that place of 
preeminence amongst us. Father, we pray for household salvation. And we think of our families who are outside of Christ, loved ones who have never repented. And Father, we beseech Thee that Thou would move in grace, give opportunities to witness, and to tell forth the great message of the gospel that souls would be found in the Savior. Father, we do pray that Thou would remember those who are away at this time, and we think of those on vacation, those visiting family members elsewhere. Bless, we pray, and meet their needs. We do remember those who are in need in our congregation as well. We do remember uh, our brother Vern, the Hanson family. We think of our sister Debbie. We think of Clayton Snow, remember Lorraine as well. And we uh, pray, Father, for others also, that Thou would draw graciously near and give that help and give Thy presence and the touch of the great physician. Our Father, we uh, thank Thee uh, for this time of year that we can reflect upon the birth of Christ. And we think of our nation. And Father, we think of the area in which uh, we are located today, and uh, we see so much, so many reminders of this time of year, uh, but yet uh, we look around us and we see many who live without the joy, hope, the peace, uh, the comfort and assurance of Christ as their Savior. And O oh God, we pray that Thou would move in hearts and lives and draw sinners to Thyself. We remember our radio broadcast. We pray, Father, for this means of outreach, this means of spreading Thy Word. Bless, there we pray, that Christ would be exalted, that Christ would be glorified, and that as sinners would look unto Him, the One who is the great Savior. Father, bless us today, we pray. Draw near to us, meet our needs, glorify Thy name, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn again in our hymnals to hymn number 98. The hymn 98, the first Noel, the angel did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay. The first Noel, and the hymn number 98, will stand as we sing, please. Thank you. 
Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> this point in our service, uh, can we extend a word of welcome again to each one present, uh, to those who are visiting with us, we welcome you as well, and to those who are watching and listening online, uh, we trust that you'll feel at home with us as well as you listen in uh, by that means. Do you remember the uh, various announcements uh, throughout uh, this week? Uh, we have our prayer meeting tonight at 5.30 in the prayer room downstairs, the evening service at 6 p.m., and uh, the office prayers of our congregation, uh, our elders and deacons have agreed uh, to take part uh, this evening, and uh, they will uh, be praying and reading the Scriptures, and then I'll be bringing the Word of God. Uh, so do remember the service tonight, and uh, do gather in as we remember and reflect again upon the incarnation of our Savior. Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., uh, we have our Bible study and prayer meeting in the prayer room, and it's on Zoom, uh, so do uh, remember that. And I'm flying to Calgary in the morning, and I will be doing the prayer meeting by Zoom on Wednesday evening, and uh, preaching uh, by that means. And then next Lord's Day, uh, we have our prayer meeting in the morning at 10 a.m., and our morning worship at 10.30, and then 5.30, the prayer meeting, 6 p.m., the evening worship. And the preacher of both services is Mr. Stephen Boyd, a deacon in our Prince George congregation. I'll be preaching in our Calgary church next Lord's Day, but I will be back on Wednesday, the 3rd of January, to take our prayer meeting that night. But next Lord's Day, there will be our usual fellowship around coffee and food after the evening service. Uh, so do remember that, and do come out and pray and encourage our brother as he comes to bring the Word of God uh, to us. Uh, these, these are all the announcements. There are various uh, mentions of meetings in January, and we'll leave that to the bulletin uh, for the sake of time uh, this morning. And so uh, let us uh, turn in our hymnals uh, to the hymn 111, uh, the hymn 111 and 11. Angels from the realms of glory wing your flight o'er all the earth. We'll remain seated while their tithes are lifted for the Lord's work. And as you turn to that hymn, uh, can I extend uh, well wishes for uh, the holiday season and the new year? And we trust uh, that the Lord uh, will richly bless you over this period, and bless your time with family, and that you'll know a happy new year and I'll be back uh, after the New Year, so we wish you a happy New Year uh, now, and we trust uh, that as a congregation, uh, we know the Lord's blessings next year. It is 40 years uh, since the Reverend Gallagher uh, left Northern Ireland to come uh, to Canada, to Vancouver, in around July 1984. So as a congregation, uh, we'll be remembering 40 years uh, since that, 40 years since our congregation uh, came into existence, and we thank God for that, and we trust that not only individually, but as a church, we know the Lord's blessing over the next year. The hymn 111 will remain seated uh, for the first part, please.
pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we thank Thee, Lord, that we can gather together. We thank Thee around this season as well, that You have brought us together, that we may worship our Savior. We ask that You would take our tithes and our offerings, that You would use it to have the gospel spread even further, that every ear would hear and every tongue confess that our Lord Jesus Christ is born and is the Savior, our Savior. We ask that you'd be with us as we open your word, bless our pastor, give him the words to speak, and we ask that your spirit would touch each and every one. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Going to change our positions. We'll stand for the remainder of this hymn, please. Turning this morning in the Word of God to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And we're going to read from the verse 18 down to the end of the chapter in verse 25. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, or chapter 1, reading from verse 18. And the Word of God says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his precious word. Let us unite together in prayer. Let us seek the Lord. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee this morning for the preaching of thy word. We rejoice in it. We thank thee, O God, that we can sing thy praises. Uh, we can magnify the glorious name of our Savior. And Father, as we turn to this passage, as we reflect afresh upon the marvelous incarnation of our Savior, that miracle that thy Spirit did work, we pray, O God, that thou would teach us and instruct us. And may, Father, there be more to what we say than that basic retelling of this account. And we pray that thou would apply it to our hearts, and that the lessons that we see here it would be on our minds and rooted deep within us because thy spirit is applying thy truth to our souls. Father, teach us, we pray, and do us good, we ask, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. <coughs> At this time of year, our thoughts are often upon uh, the various traditions and celebrations uh, that take place in this world uh, because of Christmas. And when we look back at the incarnation itself, when we look back at the Lord Jesus Christ coming into this world, uh, we see that uh, that event, it changes the world. It changed the world when we think of the secular world and the Christmas tradition, but also changes the world in a spiritual way. Because the coming of the Savior into the world, being led in Bethlehem's manger, is a spiritual event that took place by the power of God and in the purpose of God in bringing a Savior into the world to redeem mankind. It is an event that changes the world. It is an event that changes individuals. And we see in this passage how the coming of the Savior changed individuals in the Scriptures. Matthew's Gospel contains the inspired record then of the greatest event or one of the greatest events in the history of mankind. It was the fulfillment of many promises that had been made over the previous 4,000 years by God. And the time had arrived for the Messiah Messiah who would bruise the serpent's head to enter into the world. He was the promised one, the lamb who would bear the sin and the condemnation of his people. 
The hymn writer wrote concerning the angels at the birth of Christ, and we sang these words, Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight o'er all the earth. Ye who sang creation's story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship. Worship Christ, the new-born King. And Matthew's gospel reminds us and shows to us the Lord Jesus Christ as King. His genealogy is found in this chapter. And if we were to go through those list of names, we have the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah. And Christ is presented as the great king of his people, the one who would come to rule and defend, the one to whom we ought to subject ourselves. But this gospel also presents the incarnation from the viewpoint of Joseph. In the reading that we have here, we have Joseph in view. And when we think of the earthly father of the Lord Jesus Christ, we often think of fathers and the role of fathers within society and the duty and responsibility of a father within his own home. And thinking of Joseph, he was in a situation that was unique in that Mary was bringing forth the Son of God, the promised Messiah. He was his earthly father, but yet there was this miraculous conception that had taken place. But when we think of fathers, fathers set the example to their children. They set the example within a family unit and even within society. And here we have Joseph being a man of God, being an example within his home, an example here to us in Scripture. And there are lessons that we can learn from this man. Often we think of the Savior and the wise men and the shepherds, and we think of Mary because she was the one who bore the Son of God into the world. And Joseph really was just her husband, but yet he is a significant figure as well within the life and within the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this here in Matthew chapter 1. And so I want us this morning to consider the godly characteristics of Joseph, the godly characteristics of Joseph, for he is an example to you and I. He's an example to the men here. He's an example as well to those uh, who are uh, the ladies in our congregation also, and to the young people. This man is also a great example. And so we see his godly characteristics. There are three that I want to leave with you this morning. And we see, first of all, he had a gracious manner. He had a gracious manner. Let us dive right into verse 19. And let us emphasize what we mean by the gracious manner of Joseph. It says here, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. He was a man of grace. And we see that in his dealings with Mary. He was minded, or he was off purpose, to put her away privily or in secret. She was espoused to him, and they were to be married. But yet, something had happened. She was found with child. And that changed the situation entirely. He did not want her to be a public example, as we see in verse 19. 
He wasn't going to announce to the world. He wasn't going to put it in the newspaper. He wasn't going to go around society telling of what great sin he thought his wife had committed. And of course, the conception of a baby in this manner had never happened before. It was unknown. It was a miracle of God, the marvelous working of the Spirit of God. But to the onlooker, to Joseph, it appeared to be sin and a breaking of the promises they had made one to another. And we need to understand this. The evidence was there that Mary had committed sin, yet we find that Joseph at this point was gracious to her. And this kind of action that he suspected was treated seriously in Bible times. He was betrothed to Mary. Uh, that is, as I've said before, a much stronger version of our modern term engagement. And this was not merely a promise to marry someone, but there was also a legal aspect to it as well. A legal aspect. Much stronger than the engagement we have in society today. And any breach of that agreement was seen as adultery. Seen as adultery. And it was a serious arrangement. And therefore, Joseph would have been greatly affected by the consequences of what was believed to be the sin of Mary. He would have been shocked and upset at these revelations. But he was a just man, and we find that in this situation, he had grace. At this point, he did not fully understand what had taken place. He did not understand that Mary was used by God to bring the Savior into the world. He didn't know any of that at this point. We don't know whether she would have told him or what his reaction would have been or whether he found it hard to believe. But regardless of all of that, he showed grace. He showed grace. And I think that's marvelous here. C.H. Spurgeon in his commentary, Matthew, the gospel of the kingdom, says that many would have thrust her away in indignation and put her to an open shame. But Joseph was of royal mind as well as royal race. He would not expose what he thought to be the sin of his espoused wife. Although he felt that she must be put away, he would do it quietly. And therefore, the lesson for you and I is very, very simple. When we have duties to be carried out, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the church, should we not have the tenderest manner, the loving, caring, and gracious manner in which to engage in these actions? May we be compassionate and not harsh. May we treat others who have perhaps wronged us with godly grace. If someone stands against us and they're rude and they're arrogant and they're hurtful, that is not a reason for us to be exactly the same back to them. Joseph here did not say, well, Murray has sinned. I'm going to go out and I'm going to sin as well. He didn't treat like with like. He was a just man. He was gracious. He was of purpose to put her privily away. I think we also need to understand we are often very quick to condemn even Christians for what appears to be sin. And while sin does need dealt with, we ought not to deal with it in bitterness and strife. 
But sometimes it may appear to be sin, and it's not. We don't know the full story. We don't know the full story. And I've come across many situations in life where on the surface it looks like it is sin, but yet I don't know the full story. And when the full story is known, it is not what originally it was thought to be. And Joseph did not know the full story, but he acted in grace. He acted in grace. And this graciousness is something that should mark our actions as believers. We need to understand as well that Joseph did not ignore what he perceived as sin. And that is important. As believers, we ought not to ignore sin, whether that is sin in ourselves, wickedness and corruption within us. We ought to examine ourselves and deal with that. But we ought not to ignore sin in others as well. We are not to ignore sin, but what he did is he dealt with that sin in a gracious manner. He did not turn a blind eye, but he dealt graciously. And that is a lesson for us, dealing with sin in a gracious manner. There are times when we have to deal with the sin of others, whether that is in the church, in the leadership of the church, or whether that is in the family, or someone who does some wickedness against us. That sin cannot be ignored. And the example of God in Scripture shows us this. Sin cannot be set aside. That is why we are remembering the birth of the Savior, because God could not set aside our sin. That sin had to be dealt with, and it could not be dealt with by a mere human individual. The Son of God came into this world to be born, to go to the cross, to be the perfect sinless sacrifice for us. And the incarnation is a stepping stone. On the road, the Savior walked to Calvary to die for you and to die for me. And God did not ignore sin because He sent His only begotten Son to die for sinners. But yet, there can still be grace. Grace is not sweeping it under the carpet. We see grace because Christ came into the world. God showed grace to us in redeeming us Grace is not sweeping the sin under the carpet. Grace is not ignoring the sin. Grace marks the attitude in which we deal with it, seeking, of course, the offender to realize their sin and to repent of it. But we can often get so incensed about how others behave toward us. But where is our grace? Even if we are right, where is our grace? Where is our grace? I've seen many Christians over the years be so worked up about the sin they see in the world. So much so that one Christian told me on one occasion of how they were in a conversation and the individuals were right in front of them and they were shouting and pointing to their Bible and showing them the sinful life in which they lived and shouting the word abomination right into their face. Where is the grace? Where is the grace? Grace would not ignore the sin and pointing out the sin, but grace is about the attitude in which we speak, the attitude in which we approach the sin, the attitude in which we approach the sin. If someone came to you about your sin, 
challenge you, whether that is maybe the pastor or the elder within a church or your spouse or a family member, and they started off by shouting at you, calling you all manner of names, would you listen? Would you have time to hear what they have to say? No, you'd rise up against them and start shouting back, would you not? It's in our human nature. Grace makes the difference. And Joseph here showed grace. He was not willing to make her a public example. The Lord Jesus Christ is one who moved in grace. We can think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who was that tax collector and stole. But the Savior, what did he do? He went to his house. He dined with him. Zacchaeus turned and was changed utterly by the power of Christ. The Savior showed grace. And is he not showing grace to you and I because of our sin? Has he not shown grace in that we who were on that road to a lost eternity are saved and redeemed? He's showing us grace because we do not receive what we deserve because of the faith we have in our Savior. When we think of grace, the Savior knew grace, Luke 2 verse 40 tells us that as he grew, the grace of God was upon him. He too was filled with grace. If you read the epistles of Paul to the church, you'll find time and time again he says something, grace to you. He wants them to know grace and experience grace. And grace is one of these great fundamental truths, a great fruit of the Spirit, shown and evidenced by those who believe. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, but, but by the grace of God I am what I am. Can you not acknowledge that this morning? That what Paul is saying is what you could say. But by the grace of God I am what I am. But by the grace of God I'm a believer. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. By the grace of God only, not by myself. Not by who I am, but Merely by God's grace and unmerited favor toward me, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And the apostle speaks of that grace that has affected his life, that was shown to him, that is upon him as a fruit of the Spirit. He desired in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7, he said, see that ye abound in this grace also that this church in Corinth would know the grace of God and live out the grace of God. In Hebrews 12, the apostle there says, let us have grace. Let us have grace. And dear believer, we're to have grace in our lives. If we trust the Savior, there is to be grace. Grace in our interactions. Grace as we seek to serve the Lord. But how can this grace be found? Verse 19 tells us, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. This grace came from the Lord. He was a man who knew and desired to walk in the precepts and law of God. The original Greek word here that is translated in our English version as just, it means righteous righteous. Joseph was a righteous man. 
And therefore, he would have endeavored to keep the commandments of God. And that is something every child of God, every saint, ought to desire, to keep God's commandments. And this word describes someone who is observant of divine and human laws, one who loves the Lord. Someone once interpreted this word righteous as one who is anxious to do his true duty religiously and domestically. Righteous, righteous. And righteousness is important. If we turn to Psalm 1, we see something about the blessed man, the happy man, but the man who loves the Lord, the man who is righteous. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The righteous man is separate from the world. He's no time for the things of the world, or the advice of the world, or the actions and sin of the world. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Joseph's grace came from his righteousness that really came from the Lord. And the righteous man is one who delights in God's law, who meditates in it, who puts the law of God first within his life. We find as well, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. There's a blessedness, a tree that is planted by the water. I don't know much about plants. My wife bought me two plants recently. I think they're the only two plants I've ever been bought in my life. And uh, the name is, uh, they're called a Fitonia, and apparently named after uh, some botanist, uh, I think in the 19, or the 1800s, uh, who was named uh, Fitton. That was their surname, same as mine. And so uh, I think she thought it was interesting to see a plant named after me or named after someone who had the same name as me. So I have two plants that I now have to take care of. And uh, what's, how do you take care of a plant? You don't place it there on the shelf and talk sweetly to it. You might do that. But you have to water it. That's the important thing. It needs water. You can talk to it all you like. You can look at it. Uh, you can smile at it. But that's not going to do very much. You need water. It needs to be watered. And we find here in verse 3 that the believer, the righteous believer, the one who is walking in the ways of the Lord, needs water. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. There's a need to be watered and a need to receive the water of God and the water of the Word through that close walk with God to be able to grow, to bring forth fruit, to be righteous, to be gracious to be loving, to be caring within life. The righteous man is willing to submit to the Word of God. We'll see that in a moment as well. And so this righteousness, man is just, a man is righteous because of Christ. Joseph could not do this himself. It was a work of God. And this morning, you and I cannot be righteous in the sight of God without the work of Christ within our hearts. We can't. That is why the Savior came into the world, to deal with our hearts, to redeem us, to save us. 
So, there is a challenge to you and I about this righteousness. Have you accepted it? Have you looked to Christ as your Savior? Is His righteousness within you? His righteousness imputed to you and given to you? Because you're trusting in Him and in His work of redemption upon Calvary. And as we're righteous, and as we have that gracious manner within us, it's all because of Christ and His work within our hearts. The hymn writer said, May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by His love and power controlling all I do and say. May the Word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through His power. May the peace of God my Father rule my life in everything that I may be calm to comfort sick and sorrowing. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea, him exalting, self-abasing. This is victory. Oh, that we would know the gracious manner that Joseph had, that gracious manner that testifies of Christ and testifies of the Lord. But notice here, secondly, a listening ear. Joseph had a listening ear. He needed heavenly direction. Earthly advice would do no good because the situation could only be explained by God. And earthly thinking was leading him to put aside Mary and to leave that relationship. And so he needed the revelation of God. And there are many today, even in Christian circles, who seek advice from the world. The newspapers, if we still read newspapers today, I remember many years ago sitting in the workplace and you're on your break. It was before you had your cell phone and Google and all the information to look at. And the newspaper was there and you'd look and you'd turn to the soccer results from the night before. Then you'd turn to the front and you'd look at the news and to see what was happening in the world. You, you today go on Facebook for that or go on a news website, but back 20 years ago, you looked at the newspaper. You turned the pages, you had the TV listings, and then you had the section of horoscopes. And then you had the so-called agony ants who gave advice to those who were in troubled relationships and difficult situations. There are many Christians who read those parts of the paper, sought that advice from the world. And what a disgrace it is for the believer to place any value upon that, because the Word of God is our guide and our help, and the Word of God gives us that advice that we need. And Joseph needed the Lord to deal and to step into his situation. Notice what is said here. Verse 20, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Son of David, his, this revelation is being tied into the promise of the Messiah from the line of David. We speak about the virgin birth. In reality, the birth of Christ was normal, but it was a miraculous conception. A miraculous conception. Something that was supernatural. Supernatural. The conception was the miracle. 
And the angel says here, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. The angel of the Lord appeared into a, in a dream, and God revealed that this child would be unique, that this child would be the fulfillment of all this prophecy. And the angel was the mighty messenger of God. The angels appeared in the sky over Bethlehem, praising God, praising the name of God, for Christ had been born. And this child was to have a special name. We considered that uh, on a previous occasion, the name Jesus, verse 21, for he shall save his people from their sins. From their sins. A name that is high over every name. The name of Joshua in the Hebrew. The name that shows forth that Jehovah is salvation. The very name of this child that had been conceived and would be born is the Savior. Peter said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And this revelation is given, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Redeemer had come. The Deliverer was being born. The one who would die to redeem Adam's race had come into the world. The only one who could save. For he shall save his people from their sins. When we think of verse 21 and that phrase, he shall save his people from their sins, who else would that apply to? There's no one else revealed in the Scriptures who could save his people from their sins the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the angel, being the messenger of God, drives home the importance to Joseph of what was taking place. In verse 23, he speaks of the prophet, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And there is a reminder here pointing back to the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah about wicked King Ahaz who worshipped false gods, who burnt his own son in worship, and the kings of Syria and Israel had come against him, and the king had plundered the temple to gain riches to persuade the king of Assyria to support him. And Isaiah came and said that God would deliver, that this king would survive. And a prophecy is given about the coming of the Savior. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Why? Why would God step in and deliver so that the line of David would not be destroyed? Because that was the promised line. The promised line. Because of the Messiah. And so Joseph knows history. And this promise has come before him. This great truth that Christ will be the Savior. And how does he react? Verse 24, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. He listened. He listened. And there's a lesson for us. Whether you believe in Christ or not, there's a lesson here that God's revelation must always find a listening ear with you. You must listen. Joseph listened to what the angel said. 
He gave that listening ear to the revelation of God. Oh, and dear believer, you're to give a listening ear to the Word of God, a listening ear to what the Word of God teaches you. Dear unbeliever, you're to listen to the Word of God. Why? For the Word of God directs you to the one who shall save his people from their sins, the only Savior. Joseph listened. He listened. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and we have here the apostle emphasizing the importance of preachers, men to preach the word, men sent of God. Then verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have the word of God. It says the word of God that is to be preached. The preacher is sent by God to preach his word. That's what the previous verses are getting at. And so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God is preached. It is heard. There's a listening ear, Paul is saying. And then there is faith. Faith being worked by God within the heart. A listening ear. Oh, that we would give a listening ear to God. And part of the problem today that we see in families, in society, even within the church of Christ, we see so many problems and difficulties, so much sin within society and the church. And what is the root cause of it? There's no listening ear to God. Men do their own thing. They're not listening to God. They're not giving that ear to hear what he has to say, to listen to how he defines sin. Oh, that we would listen to the Word of God. Joseph listened to this great promise, and it encouraged him. It changed his life. It directed him down a different path. Dear believer, there are times in our lives where we're faced with difficult decisions. And this was a difficult decision Joseph had to face. And God came with his word to direct him, and he listened. Oh, seek the word of God. Seek God's advice and God's direction in those times of difficulty. Listen. And then we see thirdly and finally that he had a believing heart. A believing heart. You see, listening is not enough. Listening is not enough. I remember many times as a child, I listened. I could hear my parents. I could hear what they're telling me. Tidy your room, do the dishes, do this particular chore, get ready to go out, go and learn your catechisms or your Bible verses. Oh, I could listen. Listening wasn't a problem. It was going and doing it was the problem. We could hear all day, but obeying was the difficult thing. In Joseph's case here, believing. He had to believe, not just hear but believe, we often say it goes in one ear and out the other. And we forget about it. But the Word of God ought to go into our ears. It ought to go into our mind. It ought to go into our heart so that it affects us. And we said at the start that the great message here, the great event of the incarnation changes lives. It changed the life of Joseph and the lives of every one of us who believe. Because the great message of Christ coming into this world 
is heard and it's acted upon. It's believed within the heart. He was obedient to the will of God. His heart was encouraged because he believed. Oh, that you would believe this morning. Oh, that you would believe that Christ is the Savior, that Christ is the Redeemer, that your soul is right and ready to meet God because of Christ, because he came into the world to be your Savior and to be your Redeemer. Would you believe that you would go forth for him, you would serve him, you would live for him? Why? Because you believe in him. Joseph listened and he believed in his heart. Would it not have been a difficult thing? And maybe those in society may be wondering what had taken place. But he believed in his belief, the same with Mary, her belief and her faith in what God had said helped them regarding whatever society might have said about what had happened, what had taken place. And our belief in God, our belief in His truth ought to enable us to stand against society and stand against the ideas of this world and to stand for God. What is your faith like this morning? Do you truly believe in the Savior? Do you truly desire His Word to listen to it? Do you believe it in your heart? Has it affected you as you live your Christian life. May the Lord bless his word this morning for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in closing to the hymn number 90. The hymn number 90. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Praise on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled. Hymn number 90. We'll stand as we sing, please.
Let us remain standing for prayer. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word, for the example of Joseph. We thank Thee for Thy working within his life. We realize that as we've considered godly characteristics, the emphasis is upon godly, and that being that which we cannot produce ourselves. And so, Father, we pray that would work within our hearts, that we would be godly because of Thy grace and the power of Thy Spirit. Father, point us afresh to Thee, and part us with Thy blessing, we pray. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship and communion of God the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen.